During the pandemic, the cultural tides around work ambition turned. People were over their ambitions. Consider these stats. In 2022, Gartner found that more than 50% of workers surveyed said they were questioning the purpose of their jobs and the role work should play in their lives. Also last year, the McKinsey Health Institute found that one in four employees experienced burnout symptoms. One in four. And mid-2022, 29% of employees who resigned from their jobs said they did so for better work-life balance. This was according to the Society for Human Resource Management. You might be represented in one of these numbers. And yet, as we step out of the pandemic, there's a thawing and a movement with people wanting to reclaim their ambition. For example, one study in 2022 from CNBC and Momentive found that about 50% of women still describe themselves as very ambitious. If this is you, then you're in the right place. I'm Kathy Onetto, and this is the Sustainable Ambition Podcast, the podcast that explores becoming consciously ambitious and thriving in life and work. I've been exploring this topic on the podcast for the last two years, and also before that. This topic was just as relevant pre-pandemic, and it is even more relevant today. And today is an exciting day. This is episode 100 of the podcast. It's been such a joy to be in conversation with experts, authors, and friends, and to have you all listening along the way. Thank you for being with me. Given that it's the 100th episode, I thought that I'd give you an update on how I'm thinking about sustainable ambition today, why it's still relevant, and how I think about its core pillars, weaving in insights from our guests from over the last 50 episodes. While the core of sustainable ambition remains the same, my thinking around the pillars has been sharpened. For today's episode, it's really been a lot of fun to look back at the last year. It's great to pause and reflect on what I've learned from these conversations. And really, there's just been so much insight gained from my guests over the last two years. I'm so grateful for the knowledge and insights that they've shared. Now, before I dig into today's episode, I also want to say at this two-year mark and episode 100 that I thought it was time to give the podcast a bit of a refresh. So you'll be hearing a new sound. I might be playing with some new formats. But I'll also continue to host experts, authors, and friends to learn from others, and I'll continue to do solo shows. But we'll see. I may mix it up a little bit. So please let me know your feedback as I move forward. I'd love to hear from you. You can always send me a note at podcast at sustainableambition.com. So let's dig into sustainable ambition. I can sum up my whole philosophy to life and work with three concepts, right ambition, right time, and right effort. By aligning right ambition with right time and right effort, I believe we can navigate our work from decade to decade, we can better align our life and work, 
and we can challenge ourselves without overdoing it and enjoy rest without giving up our goals. The end result? That we thrive in both life and work. Now, one thing I want to address is that when I use the word right, just to be clear, I don't mean to imply that there is a wrong way to do things. Quite the contrary. Right means that you are making choices and decisions that are right for you. Right means a self-defined ambition, personal choice at this time, and a self-directed and desirable or appropriate level of effort. Right ambition, right time, right effort. And what does it really come down to? There is only what's right for you. So I want to come back to why I believe sustainable ambition is needed now. And it builds on what I started with in the episode and some of those statistics I was sharing. Sustainable ambition had relevance before the pandemic, both for career navigation and how to integrate life and work. It's not uncommon to face an inflection point in one's career, and it often comes with a lot of challenges and angst. People often are unsure and seek clarity to find a path forward. Pre-pandemic, people were also having a hard time integrating life and work. The pandemic just amplified the problem. And the term work-life balance that we all strive for, to me, many who have listened to the podcast for some time know that I don't like that term. It creates a mirage that remains elusive, especially for ambitious people. And this is true today. It hasn't changed. You know, burnout was also an issue. (laughs) The term was coined back in the 1970s. But again, the pandemic did amplify these problems. It made burnout all that we had to go through in terms of managing the change, all the different activities that people had to manage in that change led to so many people experiencing burnout and continuing to be plagued by the effects of that. And yet, for many of us, we find our work fulfilling, or we want it to be fulfilling. And for many of us, we want to be ambitious, both in life and work. We just don't want to be ambitious at all costs. And frankly, that's a good thing. It's good to be ambitious. It is natural and human. And yet, ambition has a dark side. The problem arises when it goes on hyperdrive. And I think we all know this, and we are seeking alternatives. We want to be ambitious, but we want it to look different. I want to share a brief clip from an L article by Ann Friedman from back in August of 2022. And I like it because it's a short anecdote that she wrote about a friend of hers. She was sharing some of her perspective on how she thinks about ambition right now. I like it because it aligns with many of the components of sustainable ambition and how I think about right ambition. So Ann Friedman wrote, quote, yes, I'm ambitious, but climbing the corporate ladder does not interest me like it used to. A title, a bump in pay, it's not satisfying. What I need to feel successful and fulfilled is completely different. Am I doing something that brings satisfaction? Do I feel like I'm learning? Do I feel like I'm contributing? Do I feel like I'm connecting to other people? Do I feel like I have flexibility in this new way we live and work? Am I given not only responsibility, but autonomy? Am I in a place that aligns with my values? The things that I'm looking for have changed, end quote. And that was her writing about what her friend was telling her. 
it really resonates. And it's similar to what I've heard from my clients and workshop participants. So people are asking, what is a better way to approach my ambitions? And my hope is that sustainable ambition offers that better way for us to become more consciously ambitious. See, these are still my beliefs. I believe it's never too late to step into a life with work that works for you. I believe it is possible to navigate your career from decade to decade, from inflection point to inflection point with more fulfillment and ease and less angst. I believe it's possible to embrace the adventure of exploring what's next and accept the ebb and flow of ambitions. I believe it's possible to be ambitious without burning out. And that's what we'll continue to explore here on the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. As I reflected back and took in all of the last 50 episodes, one of the themes that has come through, in addition through my research that I've been doing, complementary to the work that I've been doing with the podcast, is that there is an opportunity for us to broaden the view of ambition and what it means to be ambitious. This is tied closely to how we also define success. And when I spoke about sustainable ambition two years ago, I talked about the challenges with how our culture tends to define success. I shared how the current worldview is that those at the top in traditional roles or just say societal norms like our fascination with tech CEOs, that that is success. We believe that reaching the top in a straight line and quickly, think those 30 under 30 and 40 under 40 lists, that that is success. And for better or worse, also this idea of working to exhaustion, our addiction to being busy or hustle culture, whatever term works for you, that that is success. And some still believe that's true, but I think that's what sustainable ambition is about, is breaking those norms and getting us to rethink this. And I think it's true around ambition, too, that we need to reframe how we think about ambition. And as a trained brand marketer, you know, I might say that ambition needs a rebranding, hence sustainable ambition. Part of that is also that I believe we need to reframe ambition from being a bad thing to recognizing it is human, it's natural, and it actually can be beneficial. Research has shown that ambition has positive effects on career outcomes and to some degree life satisfaction. So we shouldn't be afraid or embarrassed to embrace our ambitions. I love how Jeffrey Shaw talked about this in episode 77. Jeffrey is author of The Self-Employed Life, and he said, quote, and one of the things I want to point out to your listeners is that in so many ways, we're apologizing for our ambition, and we need to stop. We all just need to be done with apologizing because we should be proud of our ambition. And while Jeffrey might have been talking about self-employed people, I think this is true for all of us. And I think he meant it to be true for all of us. We need to embrace our ambitions and not be embarrassed by them. And now within that, though, there is an opportunity for us to broaden our societal views of ambition, first around success and this idea of right ambition. I loved what my good college friend Dominic DeMarco had to say about this in episode 54. 
Dominic is a small business owner and also an adventure traveler who successfully hiked the 2,600-mile Pacific Crest Trail and bicycled the 4,000-mile Trans-America bike route. I had him on to better understand how he had approached these endurance events, but also to talk about his career. And I loved, like I said, how he talked about how we need to redefine success. Who's going to be on the cover of Time Magazine? Who's going to be on the cover of, you know, on the Fortune 500 list? Who's going to be on Fast Company Inc. Magazine? You know, it's Elon Musk, it's Steve Jobs, it's Bill Gates. These are the successful people in, in America. But, you know, there's, there's how many hundreds of millions of us? And then there's billions of people elsewhere in the world. And there has to be other ways of defining success except for the, the not even the 1%, the 0.0001%. It's so important to realize that there's other ways of measuring success. You know, do you have a career that puts a smile on your face? You know, do you have a home life that puts a smile on your face? Do you have hobbies that put a smile on your face? You know, do you have things you can talk about when you go to your neighborhood bar that you're passionate about? You know, these are all signs of success. Another way that we need to reframe how we think about ambition is around how we think about the integration of life and work. I appreciated what my friend Carol Bess had to share in episode 90. Carol is a vice president of brand marketing at Albertson Companies, and she was talking about the tension one can hold between the ambitions they have between life and work. It's not binary. And I felt like I was looking at it as black or white. I can either be ambitious in my career or be a present mom or wife or partner. And that's just wrong, right? It's not binary. Again, I appreciate what Carol had to say here, that it doesn't have to be black or white or binary, that we can hold more than one ambition, especially across life and work. The final point I want to make here around reframing ambition is again around the effort around it. Again, Ambition is not bad. The problem is when it goes on hyperdrive, as I said earlier. And ambition researchers suggest that what's most important is to direct our ambition wisely. One of the insights I loved was from Ginny Uppel in episode 55. She is the author of the book, In Action, Rethinking the Path to Results. She said, quote, my contention is that most of the times we are not taking action. We are reacting. And the irony is in most cases, the more ambitious you are, the more you're taking action you don't need, or it's actually getting in the way of the results you want. Think about that, that sometimes when we're so ambitious that we don't pause to reflect that we just stay in action. And in staying in that action, it can actually sometimes lead us to be more busy and more active than we really should be. What if we could not take action and actually free up time and space and be more thoughtful about the actions we do take that can make things more sustainable and more effective and actually lead to more success. So I appreciated those few perspectives from the podcast over the last 50 episodes, reflecting that there is an opportunity for us to allow for more perspectives on what ambition can look like. What is success? How do we measure it? What does it look like to navigate at home and at the office when we think about our ambitions? And what does it look like to think about our effort from a lens of more sustainability? I believe there is an opportunity for us to become more consciously ambitious 
in the service of sustainable ambition. So I shared earlier how I can sum up my whole philosophy to life and work with three concepts, right ambition, right time, and right effort. And I want to share a few insights around each and how my guests brought these to life in the last year. The core of right ambition is about defining success on your terms. I think about it as a self-defined ambition that aligns with your personal definition of success, not society's. It is rooted in what you want not a should, and is about achieving in a way that is personally rewarding to you. It's about creating meaning through and being motivated by what is fulfilling and satisfying to you. What I hope is coming through to you is that you are at the center. Bright ambition is, again, self-directed and self-defined rather than looking to external markers. There are four areas that I focus on for tapping into finding meaning and motivation and around your fulfillment and satisfaction. And those are vision, what you want to give or your contribution, values, and what you love. So let me share a few things around what guests had to say about each of those. So around vision, I want to take you back to episode 85 and reintroduce you to Jenny Blumenthal. Jenny is the author of the book, Corporate Rehab, Ditch the Hustle Culture and Thrive Again. Jenny had spent 20 years as an executive in corporate America and had decided during the pandemic to leave her job where she had been at and go out on her own. Jenny provided insight into not losing oneself and paying attention to define our own vision for our life and work. Here's what Jenny had to say. Things were so fast and furious um, that I really hadn't hadn't stopped to ask myself whether I really wanted some of the opportunities that were opening up in front of me or whether they were just the next logical step in a career um, towards someone else's dream. So how do we make sure that we're paying attention and setting our own vision for ourselves, paying attention to what dreams are important to us versus somebody else's dream? Now, around giving and contribution and values, I appreciated what we heard from Art Markman in episode 66. Art is a professor of psychology, human dimensions of organizations, and marketing at the University of Texas at Austin. Here's what Art had to say about contribution. You know, I think it's really important to recognize that a lot of what gives us fulfillment in the work we do is that we feel like we've made some kind of contribution, that we've done something that actually has some significance to it. And so it's important to really look at that relationship between the specific things I'm spending my time doing and and whether they add up to something. So giving and contribution is really important for us to feel a sense of fulfillment in our work. Now, here's also what Art had to say about why values are important in our work. I think when people begin to feel like they are putting in a lot of effort and not succeeding, it is often because the the accumulation of the work that they're doing feels like a mismatch to some of those values. I think that the people who feel worst about the work that they're doing are not necessarily ones who started a business that failed, but who feel like they have to get up every single day and go to work 
to do something that doesn't really make them feel like they are living authentically to the things that they care about. So what Art is speaking to there is the importance of our values being honored in our work. Finding that values alignment in our work is really important and contributes to our overall sense of satisfaction. Now around loving our work, I want to pull forward two points of view. The first is from Mike Trigg from episode 81. Mike had worked for 25 years in Silicon Valley as a founder, executive, and investor in dozens of venture-funded technology startups. And now he's turned his attention to creative pursuits, and I was speaking with him about his first novel called Bitflip. But here's what Mike had to say about how he thought about his career after experiencing working in Silicon Valley for a number of years. As I did startups later in my career, I was doing it because I loved that part of the process. I wasn't so focused on the outcome because I sort of knew from experience that the outcome is very, very hard to realize. If you're only doing it for an out- the outcome, chances are you're going to be upset and disappointed. So focusing on what you love and focusing on enjoying the process versus just the outcome is really important and can help us, again, in getting a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment out of our work. I also loved what Jack Shea in episode 62 had to say about this. Jack came at this from a different perspective, not from career and work, but from being an ultra marathoner who has run races like the Tahoe Rim Trail, which is a 100 mile race, the Western States 100. And he even did a race in Italy that took six days to run, if you can imagine. But here's what Jack had to say about redefining success. I no longer define success based on whether or not I finish. There, there was probably a time that I did. And there was certainly a time that I felt like I had to finish at all costs because you know there, there are people that have never DNF'd and they wore it as a badge of honor and they, you know, it's it's noted on their you know social media taglines and, and such. But that's not really a healthy perspective. You know, I, I now define successes around other many accomplishments along the way and along the training process. And so finishing is just a bonus. So both what Mike and Jack are pointing to is this finding fulfillment and satisfaction in the journey, not having it be just about the outcomes. So just to step back and talk about Right Ambition again, Right Ambition allows you to take ownership of your ambitions and your definition of success. It's about making your ambitions yours, not a should. And it's about asking, what do I want to do? So as we explore each of these different pillars of sustainable ambition, I'll get to the end of each and I will share some prompts for you to consider as reflection. So when we think about right ambition, what I might suggest here is to think about what is your dream or vision for this year? If you're going to define your own right ambitions, start there. What's your dream or vision for this year? And then think about what is success for you this year on your terms? And you might answer these prompts. I'll feel fulfilled this year if I. The second is, I'll feel satisfied this year if I. And then the final, I'll be thrilled this year if I. So think about those. If you want to play with right ambition a little bit, I offer those inquiries for you. 
Let's dive into right time. Right time considers life and work together. It means choosing where you want to put your attention based on what's personally important in your life and work now. My guidance is to plan life first versus letting work take over and to realize you will likely need to make choices. So again, here, you're choosing what is important for you. Right time considers life and work together. I really appreciated what Louise Velasquez shared in episode 82. Louise is an executive coach, and he's also an endurance athlete. And one of the things she shared in this quote is around holding life and work ambitions. I thought it was really beautiful. From a personal perspective, I think that, you know, I, I have a big commitment to my family right now. You know, and, uh, but I also have a big commitment to, my, uh, to myself and what fulfills me. And those two things become right now what I call my, my, uh, my purpose and my focus. My purpose is to help as many people as I can through coaching. But my focus right now is my family. So that's the commitment that I make to those today. Now, another thing I want to pull forward around right time is how we make these timing choices. And I'd love for you to hear from Sahar Youssef. Sahar is a cognitive neuroscientist and faculty member at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business. Now, in these clips I'm going to share, Sahar points out how she uses the future self to help her make decisions. I prompted her with a question around how she thought about her own career interests and management of those over time and how she had made decisions of what to pursue first versus later in her career. And she starts with that, but you'll hear in what I share here, how she actually has a philosophy around how she runs her life on many different dimensions. That's what we're talking about here, how to make choices in one's career, perhaps early, but mid and even late. It's all the same. We're always dealing with forks in the road, so to speak. But I actually think this is a daily mindset I might have. And I'm, I'm riffing here, but even hearing you describe something that I once described as it relates to my career really reminds me deeply about the questions that I ask myself daily. Every day when I wake up over my cup of tea, I ask myself, what needs to be done today? What does success look like for the day? Another way to ask this question, which by the way, and I'll, I'll make sure that, that we sort of end back at talking about careers. What will my future self thank me for? It's a question I like to ask myself daily, monthly, annually. I'm really constantly thinking about Sahar in the future and I'm honoring her. I'm honoring her wishes. So I'm here almost in a way as a present puppet to serve my future self in some ways. And I think about what I will regret not doing. And I'll first talk about on a day-to-day. -day. I think about this at the start of the day so that I make sure myself at 8 p.m. is proud of what I did and also that I'm not tempted to stay online and to stay working after 8 p.m. So what do I need to get done? So then I'm, I'm bringing it back around to careers. You need to ask yourself, one, what do you want, right? What do you want to get done? What do you need to get done? And 
And I have to, I, I will admit something personal, not that this is advice for anyone else, but I think I do focus more on need than want. And I don't know if that's a personality trait or if it's a being a child of immigrants, like desires or just shunned, but whatever it is, I really, really have I, my, my mind, I know always gravitates towards what needs to get done. And even when it relates to things that I want. So when you're thinking about your career, when I chose to go to um, uh, finish my PhD and to do research, it was a need, not a want. It wasn't a nice to have. I was, I know that my future self, Sahar at a hundred would have said, tisk, 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 girl. You <laughs> had everything. You were, you were positioned correctly. You, you, you had an opportunity. You had the interest. You could have done it. And guess what's going to be harder at 45? That. Guess what's not going to be harder at 45? You could start a business because I have examples of that in my life. I see that. What I don't see a lot of is people busting their butts in labs doing menial labor and doing their PhDs at 45. Honestly, because they probably think you know better at that point. Like, I don't think I could do what I did at 25 now. But there's a bunch of stuff I put off knowing that, oh, I'm going to eat. If anything, I'm going to be better at it later. So again, I love how Sahar recognizes and has this epiphany around how this idea of future self helps her run her life from day to day to how she's managing things over the course of time. So another thing that is important to understand around timing and ambitions is how our values can shift and how our ambitions can shift over time. I appreciated how in episode 60, Ruth Godian brought this forward. She is the author of The Success Factor, Developing the Mindset and Skill Set for Peak Business Performance. She shared how ambitions can change over time, and especially when you're faced with transitions in your life, because what was important to you in the past may not be a priority now. So Right Time helps you narrow in on where you want to put your attention, effort, and energy now across life and work. What is it time to do? And if you want an inquiry here to play with this, you know, perhaps play with your future self and pulling forward your future self. You might ask yourself in making a decision, what will my future self thank me for? Or what will your future self regret you not doing? How can you have your future self help you understand what is it time to do? So I'll round this out with us looking at right effort. Right effort is about being discerning around the level of effort we put against ambitions, not treating them equally. And it's also about how we manage our energy to make our life and work sustainable. So don't treat ambitions like they are equal. You know, think about how good do you want to be at a particular ambition or goal you might have, and how much effort do you want to put in? And as I often say, if we are going to stretch and strive, we need to have a plan to sustain ourselves through it all. So around this topic of right effort, there were a few themes that came through. One was personalization. The next was pace and periodization. And the final was persistence. And I'll share a few quotes from our guests around these different topics. The first around personalization I think is important from a sustainability perspective and a right effort perspective, because what's important is finding what works best for you and helps you operate at your best. I appreciated that Jeffrey Shaw, again from episode 77, 
shared this about himself around not fearing burnout. I don't fear burnout. And the reason it's rare for me is because I don't fight myself. I respect, I've always respected being self-employed. I see it as something to be really proud of, and I don't apologize for it. And I just kind of train, <laughs> there is a training component. Like I kind of train the people around me to deal with my reality because otherwise we spent all our life adapting for other people's reality. And I think we need to kind of demand that people adapt to us ambitious people. So what I really love about what Jeffrey shares here is this idea of not fighting against yourself, instead stepping into what works for you. And what I love about what he shares is this idea of training the people around you. It's almost as if putting structures in place and the boundaries in place that really support you and how you work best. Another theme that came through, as I mentioned earlier, is pace and then periodization. And around pace, my good friend Wade Brill and I did two episodes, episodes 69 and 70, on intentionally living and working with pace. Now, Wade is a mindfulness coach, a podcaster, and speaker, and she helps busy professionals experiencing stress and overwhelm be more present, productive, and energized. And so I'll point you back to those two episodes to get a little bit more from the two of us around how we both experience and work with pace to make things more sustainable for ourselves. But this also relates to this idea of periodization, which is a concept that talks about operating between times of intensity and rest. This came up in my episode with Ruth Godian, episode 60. Ruth has done research for decades, studying and researching the most successful people of our generation, including Nobel laureates, astronauts, and Olympic champions. She wanted to understand what they do when the world isn't watching that ultimately put them in an elite class of people who achieved exceptional success. Now, I asked Ruth about these individuals and if they had practices around recovery and sustaining themselves. Here's what she had to say. And it doesn't matter if you're a scientist or an athlete, they are both really good at it. They have intense times and then break times. And these people realize that the rest time is as important as the peak work times, because if they want to get to their peak work times, they have to rest in between. So I love this reminder that these individuals who have achieved exceptional success demonstrate how important it is to move between periods of hard work and periods of rest. Those times of rest are so important for us. Now, in some respects, a counterpoint to that is also how persistence and consistency can really be on our side when we think about right effort and how it relates to our own personal achievement around success. And I want to take you back to Jack Shea, the ultramarathoner, who I spoke to in episode 62. You have to be um, persistent and you have to be a little obsessive with wanting to finish because things are always going to get hard, and but you don't know when it's going to get hard. Uh, and so you can try your best to plan for all these different scenarios that we've talked about, but you just don't know when it's going to happen. So it comes back to um, distrusting the process of training and having having the confidence in yourself because you've put in the time 
uh, into training to ride through all these uh, lows. What I appreciate about what Jack is saying here is the importance of being willing to put in the hard work that really gives you that foundation for ongoing success. And if I take you back to the point that I was making earlier about Jack's point of really enjoying the process. Now, if I also take you back to Sahar Youssef in episode 51, because she talks about this idea of persistence also in a particular way, and how us stepping into our ambitions can sometimes take, again, embracing doing the hard work and appreciating that the process and the enjoyment of the process also has a little bit of challenge to it. So she says, quote, it's about the grind. It's about the daily becoming. I want people to get obsessed and feel joy in the becoming process. She goes on to say, it's a constant daily process and grind, and it's not for the sake of getting more done. That's just soul productivity. But productivity really is getting the right things done so that you have more time to actually live your life. I just appreciated the honesty in this, that there is this dance between, again, if we go back to what Ruth shared, these times of hard work, but also these times of restoration. And I appreciate how Sahar Yusuf talks about, it's not just about productivity for productivity's sake. She's not about just getting a lot of work done. She is about how do you become more efficient so you can have more time for your life. So again, the lessons here in Right Effort are around personalization, pacing, and periodization, and also being persistent and being willing to put in the hard work, actually. Now, often we think that finding sustainability and building resilience is a one-and-done thing. But achieving right effort and finding sustainability really actually is a constant personal practice. It is a dance to align our effort and energy to our ambitions while we integrate life and work. So again, I'll provide you a few inquiries here around right effort. How do you want to align your effort and energy to your ambitions? The first inquiry I'll leave you with is around this idea of is there a way you can stop fighting yourself? If we go back to Jeffrey Shaw and what he had shared, how do you work best? And what might be some structures you want to create and put in place around that to support you in operating and working at your best? And then the second is, if we're going to stretch and strive, we need a sustaining plan. So I'm going to encourage you and ask, have you scheduled your next time for restoration and recovery. And if you haven't, I encourage you to put something on your calendar now. And then also look at where might you want to be persistent and actually want to commit to putting in the hard work? Where might there be an ambition where you want to dial in that effort? What really is important for you this year? Where do you want to focus your hard work? I know a lot of insight to get through around right ambition, right time, and right effort. But I hope you found it as helpful as I did to reflect on the past 49 episodes and really all 99 to pull through the threads of insight and learning on sustainable ambition. For me, it's reinforced my commitment to sustainable ambition, practicing it, studying it, and to the conversations I'm lucky to have here. 
So I'm going to continue to talk with experts, authors, and friends who can provide insight into these sustainable ambition themes. And I'll continue to share ideas for navigating your career at different stages of life and work. My intent is that you walk away with learning to define your own success, with embracing a consciously ambitious approach to better align life and work, and with having the resilience to tackle challenges, no matter what you might choose to take on, and the practices you need to sustain your energy. I hope you'll continue to join me for the journey and step into the continual personal practice as well. So in past episodes, I've left you with saying that my hope is that you'll always walk away with at least one insight or a learning or inspiration from the episode that you can put into action in your life and work. So I encourage you to think about what's one insight you're taking away from today? What caught your attention? What resonated? And then consider what's one action, a way of being, or something you'll do that will make the biggest impact for you? And finally, what will you do in the next 24 hours to get into action? I'm so grateful for all of you who've been here with me through this journey of sustainable ambition. And thank you for being with me today. Now, as I shared at the beginning, as I step into this next chapter of the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. What would be helpful to cover to support you on your sustainable ambition journey? If you have some thoughts, either send me an email at podcast at sustainableambition.com or send me your thoughts or a listener question you'd like me to answer here on the podcast. You can leave me a voice note at bit.ly slash podcast dash ask. Now that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash podcast dash ask. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be so grateful if you would rate, review, and please share it with others. It really helps me to keep the podcast going and get great guests on the show. And I thank you so much in advance. And just a reminder, you can always find show notes for the show at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. And make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. Thanks again for joining me today. Until next time.